The Sports Career Podcast, episode 296. What attitude do you need to pursue a career as an engineer in the motorsports industry? Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in engineering and in the motorsport industry too. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Ella Podmore, MBE. Ella is a fault analysis engineer at McLaren Automotive, where she specializes in material science with regards to the engineering side, where she analyzes the car's material, breaking down the components with regards to the car development. Also, she was Young Women Engineer of 2020, and very recently, she was awarded an MBE from Her Majesty the Queen with regards to her services in engineering, innovation, and diversity in the industry. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Ella as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Ella will share her sports career journey and explain to you what attitude you need to pursue a career as an engineer in the motorsports industry. Ella, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please do share to the listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Oh, Ed, thank you so much for having me. It's an honour to be here and to do something a little bit different, you know. Um, But my name is Ella Podmore. I am a materials engineer for the supercar brand McLaren Automotive. And materials engineering effectively is designing or investigating materials involved in the build of cars. So that could be, you know, looking at something that we're in development with, that could be um, specking new materials on upcoming uh, cars as well. So my background is that I was trained in materials engineering, went on to study that at a master's at university. Um, it's kind of a bit of a boring pathway because, you know, jump jump about a bit and I'm sort of like, no, I studied materials and then I went straight into a materials profession. Um, but yeah, I studied it and I did a place with McLaren Automotive, which I think is proper, proper crucial, um, which we'll get into in a little bit later. And after that placement year, McLaren offered me a position and I've been there four years ever since. Well, well, I did say before I had done my homework with regards to your role in the engineering space, which I'm excited to get out my comfort zone. But just going back, I know you said like university part was boring, but just for the listeners to find an interest, when did you get an interest in cars or engineering in general I'm just curious from like your early early days before you thought about your career path where you're interested in tinkering with motors and that side of things I'm just curious yeah of course so I like to mention this because I think everyone sort of has an idea that an engineer is in their garage like breaking apart their their cars or washing machines you know before that kind of profession (laughs) and most you know there, there are people out there who do that I think I had a very different approach, which is kind of why I went down the materials 
side of uh, engineering as opposed to like maybe more traditional like mechanical or automotive. I grew up around cars. So my dad loved cars and he was that just what we were describing. You know, he was a tinkerer. He likes to take things apart, look at the mechanisms, fix it. It was brilliant like for me to learn from him about that. But me personally, I would be the why girl. So I'd be standing over his shoulder being like, why is that? Or why got that in it? And, you know, and it kind of was an inquisitive mindset that I enjoyed watching what he did. But I didn't get my hands dirty. <laughs> I sort of was like, okay, so why does that get put together? And that logical thought process instilled in me kind of gave me an engineering outlook. So I was fortunate enough to understand what an engineer did from a young age, knowing that they were going to problem solve, knowing that they're going to contribute to industry. And that kind of combined with my passion for chemistry when I was at school, I was like, right, okay, how can I be a problem solver, but then also have this chemistry element of it, which material science can offer. And so throughout school, I sort of tailored my pathway towards materials engineering. So cars featured um, the engineering sort of background meant that I was inquisitive, but I wasn't really like getting my hands dirty. And the the whole McLaren thing came about because I had a, a picture of a McLaren P1 on my bedroom wall when I was at university. I was kind of like a bit of a nerdy, nerdy engineering student, but that to me, I had it up there because I was like, that's my dream car. That is sexy. That's amazing. I want to own that. And it was only when I was coming around to placements that I thought, where can I apply to? Like, what, what can I see what's out there? And I looked up and I saw this poster. I was like, whoa, I could combine like two loves here. So that's kind of where that one came from. Okay, I've got to reflect now from a skill set perspective, the benefits of having curiosity, like reflecting what you've just said, how vital is that? Because nothing's set in stone. I love the poster because that's like a role model, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but could you just share to listeners, reflect from your career right now, like the importance of having that problem solving mindset, but also that curiosity too? Hugely important. I'm glad you've picked up on it, to be honest with you engineers will never stop learning and I think the danger zone that you have is that if you graduate with an engineering degree and you expect to go into a role and know it all I think what we have to tell students what we have to tell aspiring engineers is that you have to continuously learn and that knowledge base and understanding that comes from curiosity comes from under thinking why is that going to happen and wanting to know the answer that may not be known to you yet um, and God, I, I experienced that every single day in my in my profession. You know, I like I said, I was a trained materials engineer, but God, I didn't know every type of material ever and how they reacted and how they performed. So I'm constantly brushing up on that knowledge. So for people to understand that it's not necessarily always knowing the right answer, this can be applied in, of course, assessment centers, interviews. Um, you don't always have to know what the answer is, but what people are looking for, and especially in my profession in the motorsport industry as well, people are looking for how you can get there. So how do you understand to find what you need? And I think that all does stem from curiosity. And also you said a great phrase, logical thought process. Could we break it down? Because as much as scientists, even myself being a podcast, I was always asking questions, but there's a point when questions are effective, but we still need to find some sort of process to follow to find that new answer, like or that new material to make the car faster, for example. So do you have a sort of process you have with your team without giving too many secrets, but how you look at a, a problem and how you process it into action steps? 
Yep, yep. I think um, every engineer has their own little like quirks on when they first get an investigation or when they first get a title or something to to look into then you will have your own sort of method on how you tackle it what your first steps are I know at McLaren like we're all trained in a particular like problem solving uh, methodology which I probably can't give too much away but listen you know when when you're in how about from a self-development standpoint how do you could we use checklists so we can't use what they do but could we channel it going okay you could use a checklist process because everybody has checklists but we yeah, of course. That way? I'm mindful you can't <laughs> give too much away, but if we can't use that, could we use another example yeah. of like an effective to do? Yeah, this? of course. So I would say, yeah, <laughs> give all the secret recipes of the is it McLaren away. Um, I, I would say that the key thing and the first step with anything is to make sure that you have adequate information. So before you jump in and you start going down a rabbit hole, make sure you've collected everything. Um, and I think that kind of is a spin-off to what I can't remember the phrase exactly, but when Einstein was saying you should spend, if you have an hour to do a question, for instance, you should spend like 50 minutes thinking about how to define it and then five minutes writing it. So make sure that you collect absolutely everything. Um, and uh then you can progress to the next step. So for me, it's always about information collecting. If I'm looking at a broken component, I would spend the largest amount of my time investigating. What was the car doing? What conditions was it under? How was it being driven? What kind of things were in that surrounding environment? Um, was there anything different in terms of the climate that day? Like all these nuggets of information. And then you can start to build up a big picture. Engineers love to follow like a process and a step. Um, and I think sometimes, especially when you're in a high performance, fast moving environment like McLaren, it's really easy to get carried away to get to the next step right okay so and so sent me an email let's get going we'll go and call these people in call these people in but to me it's all about information and data collection first I was going to talk about the data collection because there were a few terms like thermal analysis which part of your role chemical etching I'd love you to explain what that is I'm curious on that but just on the data side how important through that process you review at the same time with the metrics you gather during that process because I've just learned with F1, me getting more involved in sport, everything's about fine margins and it comes down to the data. So I'm just curious of that skill set in itself or data collecting in general, how that supported your role as well. Hugely, hugely. If you think of all the different types of materials on our supercars, there's no way that I'm going to understand or pull figures from my head in terms of how they're performing. It's all about data. Um, and I think also a key point to mention on this is how you manage it. So you can sit on heaps and heaps of data and it may not be stored correctly. You don't know exactly what kind of material that came from or you're not distributing it. So you could be king, queen of data and think, yes, yes, I understand that how all the materials work, but you have to distribute that to key stakeholders you've got to understand that the chassis team need to know about the fatigue testing data you've got to understand that durability information needs to get to the likes of the studio guys when they're first designing the car so collecting it managing it distributing it is all a huge part of my job role um, and something I guess that going through university when you've done a dissertation topic and when you started to um, understand the relevance of like laboratory analysis and that practical data collection side of things um, behind something theoretical really preps you quite well for that environment but yeah you know like our sister company 
McLaren Racing, McLaren Automotive are all governed by fine margins. So we need the data in order to make sure that we are shaving X number of kilos off. We need the data to see how close we are to boundary conditions and tolerances and stuff like that. So super, super crucial. And also, I love the fact that you have learned a few material phrases for me. I love that. <laughs> so, so what is chemical etching? I'm curious on that. Yeah. Side. Could you just explain it in a layman's term that makes sense of course so chemical etching i would use if i were to say if we got a big cast component cast component meaning molten metal or materials poured into a mold um, and then that solidifies and that becomes like a cast component now in order for us to understand that that material is behaving and performing at the the, the level in which we want it to we have to look at something called like a microstructure and microstructures have like very various other features. So we call them grain sizes. And this is kind of like almost like a cell structure of the material. And it allows us to identify if it's cooling at the right temperatures, if it's solidifying correctly, there's no porosity and things like that. So in order for us to see that grain structure and highlight the, the key features in it, you would pour an etchant over the material. And so etch titanium, etch aluminium to make sure this microstructure is highlighted so I can analyse it properly. Wow. And it leads really well to my next point. We talked about, you know, with your engineering hat on, with collecting the data, but how important is it to communicate effectively? Like you just had teaching me chemical etching, but I always learned this from my academic advisors. Like, Ed, when you're explaining data, imagine you're sharing somebody in a pub or in a bar, like the simplicity of the communication. So may I ask how you communicate your data in a simple way effectively so people don't get overwhelmed within your team or people higher up the chain who want to see improvements in the car for example this is so crucial I think no matter what industry you get into whatever job you get into communication is going to be that thing that is going to allow you to excel um, you could be the best engineer in the world, best scientist, researcher, whatever it may be. But if you can't communicate your craft, you can't distribute knowledge, you can't get your information out there in an organization that's going to help it perform better. So communication has been the key part of everything. And I think it does stem back to when I first joined the company, I was the only individual that was kind of trained in, in, in the technical way of material science. And that, of course, was a blessing in disguise because I got to the company and they're like, oh, yes, this is really important. Your work is making a difference because I was the only one there doing it. But also it meant that I had to convince hundreds of mechanical or automotive engineers about what I was doing. And that was difficult because as we're sort of starting to understand here, like chemical etching, thermal analysis, like this is a different language. Um, and not all engineers are the same. Perfect segue to sort of say like engineers don't all do the same thing. We don't all wear hard hats. But getting people to understand about material science was a key process on me realizing communication is so crucial. I've really got to brush up in the way that how I present if I'm leading a, a meeting, for instance, and the team was 
10 mechanical engineers and they've been using a particular material for eight years prior to me getting to the company. And I was coming in being, oh, actually, I think we should change this. It was so effective. Well, it was so important, sorry, that I communicated the reasons why, understood exactly what their questions were getting to, what they didn't have confidence in, what they needed me to collect more data to demonstrate in. And that all stems back down to communication. So just like anything in life, if you want to be the best engineer or scientist you can be, communication is a good point to start. I want to emphasize one point on the communication is the language. Like I think you're right. Any walks of life, we think of sales, they have their terminology, marketing have their terminology. From an engineering standpoint, or you want to work in this environment, like understanding the terms that are used in that environment, like how vital is that? I know it's state the obvious, but sometimes it's these little things that make you more effective in those meetings and review sessions. I just would love your thoughts on that for young engineers listening in. Yeah, I mean, key terminology, whatever sector you get into, like you said, it's going to be there. I think it's important not to get hung up on it. So I lose count of the number of meetings that I've been in. I was like, what on earth has he just said? Or, oh, my gosh, I don't even know what that word means. I, I'm the worst person in the room. Like, I don't understand. It, it's it's uh, don't let it get carried away. So there will always be finding the balance of it. Exactly. <laughs> always key terminology. And when I first got into the automotive industry, I came from materials background. So cars, of course, I grew up with my dad, but I didn't really know what, you know, all these acronyms were going to mean. And so from the first couple of weeks of me being there, I was describing just what we have talked about. I was feeling syndrome and I was just in the meeting room thinking, oh, I don't understand what, what this means. But it was only after I gained confidence and realized that anyone switching to any company is going to go through the same thing. If you don't, if you hear a key term and you don't know what it means, put your hand up, ask, excuse me, can you just clarify what that what that is? Don't be embarrassed by it. So yes, of course, it will get you, it will get you points if you did know what what um certain acronyms are going into a university kind of uh, interview kind of environment, but don't get hung up on it. You can always learn, like I said. <laughs> I hope people attend those. And finally, we'd like the communication of, let's say, data. So I want to emphasize this point because I did research methods on a boxing project. How do you uh, articulate your points? And I'll give you an example. A rugby coach who's a rugby sevens player, they used to do the halftime chats on the pitch. And he said, I'd only had time to talk three key points to my team. And then they get on with the task at hand. Like if you have 10 points, your team won't remember. So do you have a process of with your data that you pick certain findings and they're the key focus then giving your whole spreadsheet of data for example to the team where it's overwhelmed can you just share the process on that that's cool yeah so you're absolutely right you can collect heaps and heaps amount of data and you can overwhelm people who are not in your technical profession like you were describing rugby coaches will have to give high level overviews to head coaches I have to give high level overviews to executive board members things like that and this, of course, is going to be different depending on what person you are, what environment you re- you're in. But to me, I find it, of course, I do the key points, but I find it very visual. So in order for me to convince, I don't know, an executive director that we need to invest in a particular type of technology, I would give like a, a before image, after image or how how much weight saving are we able to, to secure by going for this? Something very visual. And my work is quite visual, microscopic images, microstructures that we were talking about, 
this is a bad car. This is a good car. Like make something really, really, and those kind of stay with them. And I do get comments after a presentation being like, Ella, can you just pull it on those images or that kind of summary slide of those visuals for us to send on to supplier or send on to shareholders, for instance. So I kind of go down the visual route, but in terms of summarizing key points is, is so crucial. You don't want to overload in terms of data. Key point every write down is tapping into the different learning methods, which I love. I'm so glad like you talked about visual, but it could be audio, I assume with engines or stuff like that. So that's really cool. And I want to just pivot the conversation a little bit because you said, you know, with regards to engineers, it's not just one type of, you know, person in role. Like in general, though, what attitude do you need to be an engineer at let's say McLaren, like with regards to soft skills, hard skills, just for people to get the picture before they specialize like you are in like material science, for example? Yeah, so I think first point I'll mention on this is that we don't just employ one particular type of engineer from a particular type of university course. Anyone, and I stand by this, anyone can be an engineer. <laughs> I've got friends who've gone to textile engineering, biotissue engineering, like whatever your skill set is, you can get into an engineering profession, no question. I think what stands out from a McLaren point of view, what we look for is, of course, passion. We look for drive. Like th this is an environment where you are really, really high performance. The, the, the deadlines come up really quickly. We do some crazy stuff on our vehicles and we have to get it out the door really, really quickly. So there is a pressure element involved. And I think for you guys to, to stand out to companies like McLaren, you have to demonstrate that that passion is there, but also going back to that curiosity element, you have to continuously learn. And you can be someone so high up in, in a large I don't know, pharmaceuticals company, and you have done it all before 20 years in that particular industry. But say if you get into a company like McLaren, then you can't just immediately apply everything that you've learned. You've got to have that willingness, willingness to learn. Um, and again, being in the engineering sector, problem solving, how do you break something down? You don't need to know about all the answers, but you need to know how you can get there, whether it be testing techniques, whether it be people who you can reach out to. So curiosity, willingness to learn, drive, passion for the environment, and most like other companies as well. If you're wanting to get into something that's like quite a special brand, McLaren, big on its heritage, big on the old, old uh, race cars that have founded the company that we are today. It's always nice to do your history and, and learn about what that company stands for. So just on that, this is quite important. You said it's a high pressure environment just because technology, new materials, and we stick to your lane. Um, how important is it to not be like put pressure on yourself by making mistakes? Because it's all well having the drive side, but you may have to test, test, test. That could be mistake, mistake, mistake. And then you find the, the solution. So I just want your thoughts on not being shy and making mistakes as long as you're going forward in taking action that sort of approach absolutely so this is something that I had to learn when I joined the company I think don't we all <laughs> yeah I mean honestly going through the educational system how it is now is grade driven you have to sure that you're at the top of your class and you've got to get good grades to get to the next stage and good grades to get to university good university grades to get a good job it's a lot of pressure and I was one of those students who put that on myself um I wanted the you know the the best thing that I could obtain I, I was so like desperate to sort of make sure that my hard work was going somewhere 
Um, and when I first joined McLaren, I thought, right, I can't get anything wrong here. Like, this is scary stuff. But actually, it's the complete opposite. When I got to McLaren, what I found out, and this is the case for most fast-moving engineering firms, uh, motorsport companies, even sport companies, really, they encouraged me to fail fast but learn quicker. So it, it doesn't matter about failure. In fact, failure is good because then we we find different ways to do things. We learn from it. Lessons learned, quick turnover. So McLaren's all about making sure you make those mistakes quickly, but then get back up from it. And that's why I say to students, like if you're looking to go to an interview or assessment center or, you know, even job interview, whatever it may be, make sure you have examples in your head where things haven't quite gone right. Because yes, when things go great, it's amazing. Um, but more often than not, it won't quite work out the, the way that you want it to be. And so companies look for that individual who can pick themselves back up or learn really quickly and apply that or keep people in the loop with the, the information gathered from that experience. And I think that was a key learning point for myself because I got there and I was like, oh, no, failure. Of course. No, I don't want to fail. And then actually realized, Ella, you're testing materials. Things are always going to fail. <laughs> things are always not going to match your hypothesis and things. So just make sure that you are lessons learning from it. Absolutely. And that's how we really grow long term, not short term of just getting our first role. One thing I want to touch on, because you said it's like you don't talk about enough, is about sustainability with regards to the car. And I'm intrigued because I saw with the recent race in Paris that they did a lot of branding of F1 being net zero carbon for 2030. My ask, has that been a like goal from McLaren to try and find solutions where the efficiency of the car isn't just faster, but it's cleaner with our environment? So I think across all motorsport, Formula One, even the automotive industry, sustainable objectives are going to be more and more frequent. Um, I mean, the race team have committed to that 2030 carbon net zero. And I know that making yeah. successive changes on how to, to reach that. I can't specifically comment on what they're doing. Um, from the, the supercar side of things, McLaren Automotive, of course, the big sort of uh, buzzword that's happening in the automotive industry right now is electrification. So we're going to have to make way for these new reg regulations and laws that are coming in again for us by 2030. Um, so there's a big push. And I think anyone who's listening and wants to make headway of getting into the motorsport industry, automotive, Formula One industry as well, if you have a passion for sustainability or understanding how we can make supply chains more environmentally friendly, how we can look to recycling stuff that have been on the cars and not needed anymore, you are going to go far. Like this is, this is not going away. And I always say to students, if you want a project idea if you want a thesis you want a, a spare time hobby like look into sustainable methods for producing and running these cars because it's going to be huge that's the answer i want is more finding solutions with what we can learn to make things better when you're in that environment working environment and one thing i want to touch on i'm always about equality access equal on like diversity and that side of things in sports industry particularly with motorsports, I have heard, I think Tim mentioned on my podcast, that it can be very male dominated. And I'm just curious from your experience, is there change from that side of things of, you know, everybody's got better access in general in the motorsport industry? Because um, I, I think it's important, this side of things, the sports industry, and I like to talk about it and bring it to the surface that 
everybody's got a place in sport with the right attitude, experience and mindset. It's not just gender related. Yeah, it's such a crucial point, Ed, honestly. And yeah, like you mentioned, motorsport industry, I think, has got a long way to go. Uh, I'm in the engineering sector. Come on. It's no secret <laughs> that, that there is gender disparity between, um, you know, the number of females to males in these kind of environments. I think the automotive industry, especially the supercar industry, is significantly behind that of other sectors. Um, the material space, chemical engineering, oil and gas, things like that. And I don't know whether it is the stigma associated with cars. Is that still like a masculine thing to own a supercar? But what I have noticed is that there has been significant change. So I've been with the company officially four years, but I did my placement year. So five years, really, that I've been in that space and understood kind of what the demographic is. And within that time, I've seen an incredible uh, change, like increase. And I think it comes down to us going forwards to electrification. Our pro products are going to change. And I think the whole sector is changing in terms of where their talent pool is. So yes, the traditional types of engineering, mechanical engineering, automotive engineering has been proven that it doesn't draw the attention of female engineers as much. But I think when we look towards software, coding, materials, our talent pool is growing in terms of where we want people to come from to, to apply to the companies like McLaren. And with that, we're getting a more diverse workforce. And for us to market products that we want everyone to buy, i.e. diverse product, we are going to have to have a diverse workforce. So I've seen a significant increase in the number of women working in, in the product development side of the business. There's a long way to go. And like you said, it's hugely important to get all different types of backgrounds, different thought processes um, in order to, to create the best product possible. Um, but there has been great change. So just on that, uh, I had a badminton coach. I like to give like solution ideas. They're just raising the awareness. Um, Badminton coach, uh, she said there's about, uh, from grassroots badminton, there's like 50-50 split of male and female coaches, but at the high performance, meaning when they're dealing with high performance badminton players, there was a huge decrease of female. And what Badminton England did, they introduced a leadership program just for female badminton coaches. So it gave them the confidence to actually apply for the roles um, at the high performance, because that was a barrier because they didn't have the confidence. So could that be a solution of like having programs in place so actually they have that confidence to apply because it's new change and sometimes we all just need that encouragement. Now these, for example, these 10 people are now having that confidence to apply for these, you know, high performance roles without any stigma behind it. That makes sense. So I'm just your thoughts on that. Firstly, that's brilliant. I think programs like this, fast tracks, women only schemes are always going to help that. I think it stems down from ladies tend to have a greater chance of having like imposter syndrome. So I think they did study, you know, I can't reel off the facts, but studies of when um, men are looking at job interview specifications or duties and women are looking at it, boys only need to have sort of, I think, five out of the 10 points mentioned on there, whereas girls are really sort of put off if they only had like five or six um, and they wouldn't apply. So it's kind of giving them confidence, just like you said. And I think those schemes are always going to help that. Um, I think uh, an example of this would be the W series. So 
the W Series, which is a female-only version of Formula One. And that's slowly, slowly, of course, introducing female drivers to the track, which originally would have been absolute chaos. You know, people are, are not used to that. But also then introducing female fans and then starting that process of young where students are going into school being like, oh, have you seen the W Series? I love that. I want to work there. And then, then we can start to get the talent pool up to where it is. Um, it's all about removing these stigmas. And I think, yes, giving them confidence, but also shredding the stereotypes um, as well is something that we're going to see really positive coming from those, those schemes and programmes. Also, it goes back to that sort of poster idea. You know, when you see it, you believe it. I know it was McLaren yeah. to work there, but I think having these tactics like mentoring programs as well like when I started my podcast I had no idea what I was doing but I gave it a crack and I think now there's so many more mentoring programs which people can get involved in but I'm just trying to give the listener like use the resources you have but also reach out to people if you don't have the answer because sport is for all at the end of the day not just much sport like any industry sector but I want to pivot again because I actually contacted you on the day when you got your MBE and I'm just We'd love to just share the emotions you went through. I actually had somebody called Phil Jones who got an MBE for service of business. I know you got it for services in engineering, innovation and diversity, but could you just share that day and experience when you received the letter, if you wouldn't mind? Because this is significant. Everybody, like, you know, the royal family are involved in giving these awards. It's a big, big thing in the UK. So I see your big smile, but could you just share this little personal <laughs> story? Because this is big and significant. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I remember your message. I was inundated. And that's why I can only apologise for not getting back to you sooner. But honestly, it was such a shock. I had no idea that I was even put forward for something like that. And I don't even see what I do as you know, like volunteering and doing podcasts like this and going to students and schools. I just would never see that as work. Um, And so slowly, slowly over the years, I've sort of done little bits here and um, run activities and sort of hopefully shed an insight into what a a woman in this space does on my Instagram and socials and stuff. But I didn't know people were listening and like looking at that. So, you know, I was fortunate enough a couple of years ago to win Young Women Engineer of the Year. And I was blown away by that. And I was thinking, right, I make fast cars for wealthy individuals. Like I'm not life saving activities here, but I love what I do. And I think that came across in that particular award. And um, yeah, the same thing happened with my MBE. So McLaren put me in for it um, and uh, sort of took note of all the volunteering stuff that I've been doing. And I think they were shocked and I was shocked <laughs> because I'm not that old. And when we got the letter and we were like, oh, my gosh, it's actually happened. I was so overcome with like emotion. I was just, you know, really flattered that A, people are listening, B, it's, it's working out and C, I, I get rewarded for doing something that I love. Like, it's just absolutely nuts. But I tell you what, I had to keep it a secret for like a month and a half. And that is so difficult. <laughs> That's same with uh, Phil. He he couldn't tell people either. He got his letter and he was a bit shocked that people always say, was it a joke? Because you're not used to these sort of letters coming to your doorstep. So, yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's so official. And it goes, of course, it's got confidential all over it. And you worry, don't you? I received it. I was like, what kind of naughty things have I been up to? I was worried. I was like, what have I done? And then, of course, it was, you know, hush, hush for 
about a month and a half and I was bursting at the seams can you imagine sitting down with a friend and they're like so what's new and I'm like oh god I can't tell you yet and then by the time the, the jubilee because it was part of the the queen's honor list on her jubilee weekend which kind of made it more special to be with you um but by the time that weekend came about I just like exploded because I've been holding this in for so long <laughs> and I had to tell all my family and everything I was exhausted but Thank you. Yeah, it, it's it's been an absolute honour and I hope to sort of use the platform to to showcase science and engineering even more. So I want to emphasise one point you mentioned, uh, because it's quite used a lot on my podcast show with the, like volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. But you are just a great example where volunteering is a platform to promote your personal brand. Could you just share that side of things? Like despite you didn't realize that people are watching you I just want people to think that when you do volunteer it's not just that it's on a CV tick box it's actually improving your personal brand and looking at it from that angle so can you just share the benefits of volunteering I know that the benefit we're sharing is such a huge um award which I can't say listeners you might get you can aspire to it by the way <laughs> but I just want you never know, you never know but could you just share to <laughs> listeners like the real benefits which you didn't realize during your career looking back that side of things yes yes absolutely because I have learned a lot from volunteering and of course it can take all shapes and forms it doesn't have to be going to students and talking about your career it can be just dedicating your time but the main thing that I learned from the whole process is firstly it gave me confidence so I was a young girl coming out of university got my dream job at McLaren but then that was my first job. You know, I, I, I was coming in trying to tell people how to do things like for, that they've done for the last eight years and trying to teach people who've been in an industry much longer than you is really, really difficult. And when I started doing STEM work, STEM being science, technology, engineering and maths and going to schools, teaching students, you could do this, like you can go and experience this, just make sure that you're confident in this. And, you know, teaching people that way gave me confidence. And it was a really nice segue for me to then start doing my my classes. I do like a lot of um, particular material specific classes at McLaren but speaking to large bodies of people in a student for me huge confidence in my communication skills and in my own ability so that when I went to do that in my job I was like oh no I've got this I've done 300 kids I've done 200 kids so from a personal development point of view it gave me amazing communication skills leadership skills uh, confidence in my ability um, but then also just having the refreshing outlook of people who are outside your field. And it, again, it doesn't have to be young students aspiring to get into the industry, but just hearing how people who work in a completely, like healthcare, for instance, how they interpret our supercars. So when people look at the product and they're like, yeah, oh my gosh, that looks great. Or wow, I didn't even consider it. Like look at the color and stuff, just things that you would never hear when you work so closely with it. And to me, that just, it opened my eyes. It was just so refreshing to hear other people's thoughts and to see how excited they are. And it gave me like a new passion for the company, for the brand. It like just reinvigorated that I was exactly where I wanted to be. Um, these Look at the the smiles that these faces are having when I talk about what I do and and the product that, that I am associated with. So huge 
confidence boost, a huge uh, personal development boost, um, but also like re reincarnated my passion for, for the industry as well. Also emphasizes your perspective in the work you do with a purpose outside McLaren as well, yes. which is a key point. So I hope people have taken notes, the benefits of volunteering from this standpoint. Out of interest, Ella, though, what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now? What have I enjoyed the most? Oh, well, apart from all the wonderful perks that I do get, <laughs> whether it be, you know, having a, a drive in one of these cars or getting to travel the world, I think it would have to be that STEM work that um, we've just touched upon. So, yes, OK, my job's cool. I get to work with microscopes and, yeah, the cars are fast or whatever. But I've genuinely felt that I've been able to make a difference. And I think if there are any young girls in particular, but of course, young boys who are listening to this to want to get into the engineering space, there are huge amounts of opportunities in it, especially right now. Like we're at a lot of technology revolutions right now where, you know, we're going towards really small gadgets. We're going towards electrification, um, coding and NFTs are taking over the world. Like there is so much to do and for science and engineering driven people. And I have been so fortunate that my passions have aligned with this. So I have become a woman engineer in this space and it has opened up so many doors for me, whether I get to go to women in tech conferences or, you know, forefront of uh, motorsport technology conferences. It's just it's incredible. And I feel really lucky that these have all happened to me. Um, but also you've got to grab these opportunities like, yes, OK, <laughs> I was taken to this because I was a young woman engineer of the year and you can sort of say oh well if I didn't have that they wouldn't invite me but actually I went I learned so much I grabbed that opportunity um so yeah <laughs> I hope people take note on that point like I always think work in this industry is about the opportunities you create and the conversations you meet within the industry too wow what a fun conversation I just love the energy of your voice as well and I feel like we're at a great stage where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. You provided bags of tips, advice, even some engineering uh, insights, which have piqued my curiosity, to be honest, getting out of my comfort zone. But with regards to this inspirational question, what three tips would you give to the listener right now with regards to pursuing a career in the motorsports industry in general? Like what would those three core tips would be? OK, so. For people aspiring to get into the motorsport industry, I would say these three things. So that I've kind of touched upon them in our conversation already. But if you're looking for a gap or something that's going to give you an edge to get into motorsport, I would say two key buzzwords that you can phrase around your projects that you can do research into aside from your studies or apprenticeship, whatever it may be. We talked about it. Sustainability. The, that is going to be huge in this sector, whether it be fuel sources or supply chains or recycling materials, but then also lightweighting. Now, this is a, a subject close to my heart, of course, um, but lightweighting, everything is going to be around lightweighting, accommodating for batteries, going faster, how we can design things smaller, package it better. Those are some really key buzzwords and topics that I think you should look into if you want to get into this kind of sector. I would also mention that even though role models are really important for people to aspire to get into a particular type of industry, 
for people who want to get into motorsport I would say even if you don't see someone who's relatable if you don't see someone who looks like you has your background um don't let it put you off you've just got to go for it anyway and I think if I were waiting for someone at McLaren to create like a materials division or um be like me and uh and be in that company I would still be wait I'll be waiting for a long time so you've got to go for it take that chance write a letter connect with that person on LinkedIn because who knows um where it's going to take you you've got nothing to lose and with a fantastic access to resources which we have now go and use it utilize it and then that third point I think would be to keep curious, keep learning. Again, we've mentioned it before, but I think it's so, so important for you guys to be the best person, best engineer, the best motorsport um, contributor that you can be. You've got to keep learning. Even if you're at school, what side projects have you got? <laughs> what other extracurricular activities are you learning these soft skills from? I think curiosity is the fun side of working in the sports industry because yeah. it's always future thinking and the key bit is innovation I think reaching out to people with innovation and new ideas is a great way to create those opportunities exactly. too so look thank you so much for those three tips out of interest how can people interact with you online like where are the best places for people to follow you and connect with you yeah so I uh, you can find me on Twitter Instagram I both run like professional platforms there to hopefully give you an insight into what an engineer in this industry gets up to um but of course linkedin as well if you have any career questions do connect with me and i can see if i can help amazing to all the listeners listening in all those links will be on my website with regards to this podcast chat ella it's been such a joy chatting with you today thank you very much thank you ed what an awesome podcast chat with ella and it's conversations like this that really excite me because always want the show to have diversity, different career paths, so you, the listener, can see what's out there in the sports industry. So from an engineer perspective, I hope you've got a better understanding of what attitude you need, particularly with regards to the skill sets. Like she said, there's so much range and diversity with regards to the different types of engineers. It's not just tinkering with the motor. And that's why I really enjoyed this conversation with regards to Ella, with regards to chemical engineering, with regards to materials. I found it fascinating and I hope it opens up your awareness of what roles are in the motorsport industry from an engineer standpoint. But actually from a non-engineering standpoint, I hope you learn from Ella with regards to the section of communication. Because I thought that section was so important, it's so relevant to every aspect of the sports industry, particularly with regards to data. Like, I hope you took notes with regards to how you can articulate data effectively and collect the data you are searching, but then have the confidence and the ability to share that data with people in a simple manner. Because that skill in itself is vital, particularly in a meeting setting or when you're explaining your point through the research you've discovered. So I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat as much as I have. And just from a sports career development standpoint, right at the end with regards to those career tips that Ella shared, curiosity and creating an edge in what you do 
is how you get your foot in the door. I'll say that again. Your curiosity of learning in a certain area of the sports industry, not just in the motorsport industry, but also creating that edge. So like Ella was saying, if you can create the edge use of sustainability or having the ability to see current modern trends now and apply it into an organization, you've created an edge. And this is how you stand out. So I hope you put that into practice with regards to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Ellis said, having role models are really important, but if you don't have somebody who's relatable to your background or looks like you, don't let it put you off. You just got to go out there and do it anyway.